welcome to Robots Are Coming. My name's Sean McGuire and this is a new podcast about technology, ethics and all things Black Mersey. Okay, I'm a massive fan of Black Mer, and more and more I seem to be reading stories about technology uh, such as AI, driverless cars, contactless payment that's coming up more and more in our lives. And I just want to hear from people who are interested in it and how it's being used and what they think is right and what they think is wrong. So, yeah, welcome to The Robots Are Coming. So yeah, welcome to the Robots Are Coming. Um, first show, my name's uh, Sean McGuire. I'm a 35-year-old teacher, um, high school teacher from Cheshire. Um, I teach business studies and IT, economics, and um, as you can probably tell, I'm not from England. I'm originally from Northern Ireland, um, but I've been living here for quite a while, so I suppose I'm kind of... I'm kind of it's kind of my home now. Um, I, I started this podcast basically to talk about uh, ethical issues in technology. I feel it's an issue, an area really that doesn't get talked about an awful lot. I think um, technology is just brought in, and things like mobile phones. Um, how long were we using mobile phones in cars before it became illegal? We just sort of got stuck in, and. There's really this sense in me that the government is sort of using a very trial and error model to come up with um, what laws and controls should be in place for technology. And it's a bit worrying, really. Um, I look at shows like Black Mirror, and they've really drawn attention to this. The fact that technology is all around us now, and um, it does have a big impact on our lives. And maybe we should be um, taking a more ethical approach. Maybe we should be um, looking back at technology and saying, um, what are all the ways that this impacts our lives? And is it really right to use this technology? And... This opens up lots of different opinions. And I've noticed myself just in normal life, you know, um, friends maybe talking about contactless payment or talking about how they use a smartphone or little cool gadgets on their car. And it's sparking debate um, about the use of them. And I just, I think people have... Because we've got technology all around us, there's lots of thoughts and opinions on it. And I don't think the ordinary blokes in the street are really get, and women in the street are being given that chance to have their sort of views on things. So I think that it's something that we should talk a bit more about. And that's the idea of the podcast. So I want to hear lots of ideas from people. And I'm going to focus on three real stories this week. Um, sorry that there's a bit of an emphasis on the royals, but it just so happened that was the case. I'm not a, like I'm not for or against the royals. I think they're fine, but you know, it's uh, just the stories that I've looked at that have particularly caught my attention. I've sort of had a royals focus on it, and they are uh, coming up. 
First one is this uh, story that's seen on the BBC, and it was the uh, story about how uh, a user's Instagram handle had been acquired by the Royals. That's an interesting word, acquired. Um, been basically taken off them. And um, it was a guy, I'll just click on the story. And he had basically got a particular uh, Instagram handle, Sussex, at Sussex Royal. And um, obviously he had been using it for quite some time. And he'd got this name because it's got something to do with him being a Sussex fan. And um, he had it for three years. And then all of a sudden, um, because the Royals wanted it, it was removed from him and his was slightly changed. Now, this is a bit worrying, you know. Um, it shows that um, when we look at things like Instagram, it's not a level playing field. It's not like society where everybody has an equal vote, so to speak. When one of these royals or celebrities come in, um, they can take these handles because they draw attention, obviously, to the platform. They make it more successful. It's in the best interest of the flat, plat, I should say, platform to have them on board and to have them with an accessible handle. And they simply will take it off people to give it to people who are more useful to the brand. And from a business perspective, I suppose that makes sense. If you're offering a free product and you have some one person who can draw more attention to it, you're obviously going to go down that route. But it's just being mindful of this, that anything you get for free is not really yours, essentially. The company has the right to redistribute that as they want. Um, I think it's worrying. I think it's worrying that uh, people can just rock up and... and uh, what about all the contacts that he had, all the sort of, if he had like any sort of documentation that he'd used that Twitter handle on, that then um, all becomes redundant because it'd be pointing to the wrong thing. And I just, I, it, it makes me a little bit suspicious of these social media platforms and how they say they are fair. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem fair to me. I can understand why they do it, but it doesn't seem fair. Or any social media for that platform, for that reason. I suppose what it does link back to is those previous discussions um, about the web addresses of certain uh, things and how people had bought up um, different URLs um, before companies could have them, so that they could try and sort of hijack that location and maybe make a bit of money on the companies buying it back off them so that they had all the different URLs. But um, I think this is slightly different. If we read through the story, uh, the guy himself uh, admits that he hadn't really been using it as much. And uh, Twitter have said it's completely um, within their policy that if accounts has been lying dormant for a period of time, that it can be redistributed to someone else. And the guy seems he, you know, seems to be laughing it off a little bit. He did he wasn't really using it, so he's not getting too upset. But I, I, I just find this all a bit confusing, you know. Um, 
what is going to be next then um if we have email addresses and we are lucky enough that someone quite popular um maybe wants that do they have to pay us for it or can they take it off that seems a little unfair that they can just rock up and take it so i found this an interesting story let me know what you think send me lots of uh messages Um, so the next story is about Harry again, um, no link, um, it's just coincidence really, but he's talking about a ban on games and in particular Fortnite. Um, yeah, it's a story that's on the, the BBC website, it was prior to the BAFTA awards, um, so gaming was expecting a big turnout and lots of awards for the gaming industry which is doing very well at the minute. Um, but yeah, he's, so prior to that, he's saying that he thinks that these games such as Fortnite are very addictive and are almost as addictive as alcohol and cigarettes and they should be banned. And I think that he's right, to be honest. You know, as a teacher, I see lots of kids coming into school and they sometimes are very tired because they have sat up quite late playing games. When there's a new launch of a game like FIFA, we will always see a big drop-off in attendance, particularly in boys. Um, don't mean to be sexist, but that's the way it is. Boys not coming into school because they are taking the day off to play FIFA, believe it or not. And um, those are just two little things. Um, I also find that the kids that are quite into gaming it can and sometimes it's at the expense of their homework and in the worst cases their attention span in class can be pretty rubbish if they are people who play lots of games okay my own personal feelings on it as you probably guessed is that i think games are pretty all right as long as they're like anything else in moderation um some games have even been, you know, indicated to be useful. Um, some studies, and I'll indicate them in the show notes, have uh, said that it develops the part of the brain that um, works for spatial awareness. So particularly first-person shooters where there's movement around a particular arena, that can help develop the part of the brain which is geared towards spatial uh, awareness. So... Um, navigating maps things like that your brain will be more developed for doing that so i suppose it depends on the type of content you're playing but not knowing a huge amount of for about fortnite what i can ascertain from you know my looking on youtube and things like that is it's basically a 3d shooter um where you can construct weapons to shoot other people um please let me know if i'm really off a mark here but you know that's what i can make out there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of problem solving to it so i don't know how much it would actually work to develop the brain you know um i one thing that's always come out of the gaming industry is how violence has never been linked to the playing of games or anything like that. Um, there's a few isolated cases, but we don't really have a hard link between the two. So that will be one thing that will always be on the side of uh, gaming, the the lack of evidence really that there there is a link of harmful effects. Now, 
I think in, in recent years, though, the evidence has been building. Um, the World Health Organization has recognised gaming as a, an addiction, um, showing that there must be sufficient numbers of cases for people to, you know, for them to, to want to recognise this. Um, and also, too, we, we have seen, like, um, GPs prescribing the absence of games and things like that um, to help people with uh, attention issues and stuff like that. So I think more and more it's in the sort of public zeitgeist, the harmful effects of gaming and that it's not just a pastime like playing football or something. There is harmful effects from it, but we still we're, we're struggling to quantify those because it's difficult to quantify the negative effects of gaming. Um, a lot of the major damage I think of gaming is the time that it soaks up. Um, if a kid comes in and plays gaming all evening, you know that. The, it's hard to quantify the th- the opportunity cost of that. You know, you could say, oh, they could be out playing football, they could be doing this, they could be doing that. Well, maybe that kid doesn't like football or that kid doesn't want to do that. It can be hard to quantify what they're missing out on by playing the game. Perhaps that's what they enjoy doing. So I think the big thing with gaming is how much time it soaks up. And my recommendation there would be to the government, there is controls on most modern consoles um, to set the amount of time that the console can be played for. And I think it's up to the government to say uh, that the providers should make sure that that is very obvious in the packaging, that it's something, a code that is required to enter in. You know, we have on mobile phones where you, you know, you can't, uh, you, the phone is set up so it can't access, you know, inappropriate images on, on the web until you contact O2 and you get that disabled. Um, perhaps that's something that should be on set up by default on games consoles, that they can only be played for a certain amount of hours per day unless they are disabled. And that allows the parents to make that decision. I don't know. I want to hear what you lot think. Lots of people out there are parents. Lots of people are gamers themselves. Um, tell me about what you think the controls are. I'm really interested to hear. But, yeah, that's my two cents on it. And I want to hear from you lot. So get in touch. Okay, our last story then um, is about uh, speed limiters being put in cars by 2022 uh, under EU plans. So all new cars will have these speed limiters put on them, right? The speed limiter itself is called uh, ISA, um, Intelligent Speed Assistance. So basically what it'll do is use GPS to find out where the road is and have an associative speed limit with that. So basically your car won't be able to go beyond a certain speed on that um, particular section of road. Okay, They reckon it will save up to 25,000 lives by 2037, which is definitely a good thing. Okay, So if it can save any lives, I'm all for it. Okay, But um, there is a catch. It's not... 
enforced rigorously, it's going to be suggestive. So basically, um, those people who are getting worried about um, how do you speed limit and overtaking and all that sort of stuff, well, basically, it's simple. It will just suggest to you what the speed is for that road and you will be able to override it. Okay, so straight away what I'm thinking is, yes, statistically that suggestion will mean that quite a large amount of people will follow it, particularly if you had a, a car full of, you know, your family, you're going to stick to it, you're going to do what's best and what's the suggested of sort of safety recommendations. But those people that really want to speed, your boy racers, etc., is this really going to stop them? I doubt it. I think that they will still, you'll still get that annoying guy uh, racing down the side of the motorway. Um, and I don't think the section that speed are going to be put off too much by this. I think it might be useful if it brings down insurance for impacts it in some way that it helps reduce prices for us. That would be great. But um, I think this is the main benefit of this from my perspective, you know, someone who's quite interested in technology, is that it's starting to sort of condition us to this idea of trusting AI. Okay, so trust, the first point is to trust the suggestions of the car. If the car is saying you should go this speed, then we can start to trust it. When we eventually get to driverless cars, um, having overcome the, the boundary of actually creating the technology, the other issue we'll have is telling human beings you know, behind a wheel to trust the car to do the right thing. And I think that process is going to take a bit of time. We can't just bring it in overnight. We can't just create the technology and hope people you know, will go with it. So I think that steps like this, um, obviously there's been little things in the past like cruise control and stuff like that, but they are really useful in changing the sort of psychology. I'm pro-driverless cars. As long as it can be demonstrated to me that they're safe, I would be in favour of them. Now, there is a wider debate on that, and we'll probably do it in a podcast, of all the job losses and things like that. But I do think for the benefits they bring versus the negative drawbacks, I think there's more... Um, positives and it is progress it is a forward thinking thing so I would be in favour of driverless cars I think this is a step towards it um, yeah so that sums up a lot of what I think about it um, I suppose I've, you know, I'm, I've just said that I like driverless cars but um, I'm going to contradict myself here and I'm just saying that one of the notes I made with this story was that it's the first walk down the road to autonomy so removing that autonomy we have driving our cars when we drive our cars now we are in a lot of control of the car. There is things that they, you know, there is a brain in most cars and they get a little bit of input into some decisions, but we are still ultimately responsible for that car. If we start going with um, sort of speed control and speed limiters and things like that, how long will it be before we get stuff like the car is permanently speed disabled in that it's restricted to go certain speeds and certain roads and if we sign up for that, what's the implication if I want to speed? Now, you might listen to that and think that's a bit silly, but in an emergency situation, um, if somebody's got a health problem, we have to try and get them to a hospital. 
Um, I know there's certain circumstances where I would be willing to speed if it's somebody's health at stake. So if we go down that road to autonomy, we remove our right to sort of control our speed. Um, is this something that we will just have to accept in the future that will be in the public's interest? So therefore, in emergencies, you can't speed. So it's thinking about how the benefits that technology will bring us in the short term, but what we're signing up to in the long term as well, because once we take a step down that road, we're starting we're starting to walk down that road. So, yeah, I'm all in favour of driverless cars, but the, I think they need to be implemented in a way that um, is in the public's interest and that we have a proper sort of discussion about the pros and cons before we implement it. So, yeah. This is a pretty interesting story about the speed limiters and I'm just I'm wondering now this dialogue started what way this will go. So yeah, it's an interesting one to keep my eye on. Okay, thanks very much. Anybody who's got any ideas I really want to hear, particularly on driverless cars. Perhaps we could collect them all together and we could have like a a, a podcast that's just completely on driverless cars so we'll just have an episode on driverless cars and i can use all the call-ins for that to spark that debate so yeah thanks very much i'll look forward to hearing what people have to say about that so that's been the first episode of robots are coming um thanks very much for everybody who's listened to it and i want to hear lots and lots and lots and lots of call-ins okay um i think this is an area that lots of people have interest in and lots of people have input in and yeah give me lots of call-ins and uh yeah i look forward to the next episode so thanks very much <laughs>